Hello and welcome to all of our two and four-legged listeners. It's Nathan here from Rightpool and welcome to What the Bark, the Rightpool podcast. We're back again in the countdown to the end of the year and we're really excited. We've got another great episode today um, back in the world of dog shows, which we haven't uh, explored in a little while. So it's great to, to bring that back on the agenda. Um, and as always, my partner in crime, George, uh, lovely to have you here and, and uh, welcome back to the podcast again. Yeah, Nathan. No, oh, it's almost the end of the year. How scary. I know. I was uh, I was playing my Spotify, uh, you know, playlist the other day, and Mariah Carey somehow crept into that, and I was like, he, "I know it's the end of the year because she's come back again." Yeah, okay. And I haven't had a whinge for a while, Nathan. So I'm oh. going to start off with the whinge. Okay, the please. Weather in Melbourne has been awful for the last six weeks. We have not seen any sunshine for more than one day. And the rain has been ridiculous, nonstop. Uh, nonstop. What is happening? I, don't, I literally so, this garden that's out there. No roses are growing because of the wet weather. Yeah, it's, something needs to happen. Oh. It's, that, it's that triple La Nina, and I can see our guest sort of nodding her head as well, and sort of I think uh, she's she's from somewhere which is similarly known for very damp and uh, miserable weather at times. So maybe we should bring her into to contribute to this <laughs> yes so we're really excited we'll, we'll dive into the topic but firstly let's introduce rachel from zuleika finnish lappens rachel welcome to the podcast lovely to have you thank you for having me and you're based in in tassie yeah so i'm down in tassie so i'm absolutely nodding along to everything that george is saying about the weather um my roses also aren't growing at the moment and however the weeds are doing terrifically weeds and lawn i've had to mow the lawn it's literally almost every two weeks exactly it's just throwing my gardening right out the door and it's i've never experienced my first four weeks of cricket being washed out which is what's happened (laughs) I've paid all this money to play, Nathan, and I haven't yeah. played for four weeks. I know, but you're still going to training and everything. Still going to training, still trying to keep it up, still rocking up to grounds to be only to be told by the umpire the game's called off. Again, ridiculous. Mm. But it's just been I've never I've been playing cricket for so many years. It's the first time I can remember so many games being washed out. So enough about whether or not. Let's brighten it up. Tasmania, Rachel's here. I was surprised because the topic was junior handlers and I was expecting to see some junior. No. Yes. And Rachel, so this is, I was thinking I'm going to really grill some 16-year-old on. (laughs) I had all these tough questions for these 16. And I've got someone who's going to have all the answers here. Rachel. Well, I'm going to have to reflect back to 16-year-old Rachel. 16, okay. Yes. And I I know you've um, you've obviously got um, some junior handlers in your family, I imagine, as well. I have one. I have one junior handler in my family, so my 10-year-old daughter. Yes. So, yes, I'm sure, yeah, she – did she have much of a choice in in following the – the family tradition, or did she did she voluntarily want to come along? I would say she has a lot more choice than I had at her age. Actually, <laughs> um, she does have several interests outside of dogs, so it's always her choice on on whether she she comes along. So she she pops in and out. Yes. Mm. With her, other so I'm, I'm glad, Rachel, you've been able to get 
your kids to at least follow some sort of part of what you've got. My mind even touch genetics. Won't even, <laughs> I don't even want to know about it. I can't even get them to help me pack a kit sometimes to send it out. You know, yeah. so well done. I wish I could have mine as a junior geneticist, but yeah. no, they don't even want to know about it. We need an Oravet internship program. No, that's, oh, of course, Nathan, that's what I need. And I have a good list and apprenticeship at Oravet. God, yes. There we All go. Right. Well, uh, but maybe we should rewind back to 16-year-old Rachel, maybe a little bit before that, I don't know, but would love to hear about how, how you started as a, as a breeder and, and obviously how you came to, to choose the, the beautiful Finnish Lapland as, as your breed as well. Well, well, you did say that this podcast only goes for about 50 or 55 minutes. <laughs> I won't bore you with all of them, but they're almost sort of two separate. There's almost two parts to my uh, dog show life and my life as a breeder. Um, I was born into dog showing. Uh, as I said, I, my daughter certainly has more choice than, than <laughs> and I think my mother may have missed one dog show in order to uh, give birth to me. And so I was literally raised at dog shows. Um, so my mother showed whippets and my initial breeding path was in conjunction with her. Mm-hmm. Zalika was actually our prefix in uh, in partnership together, oh, wow. and we bred. Once I got older, we bred whippets uh, together. <clears throat> I then um, decided to disappear out of the country for a while, and then when I came back, I was in Sydney and had a twelve year hiatus from uh, dog showing, and certainly from breeding, and then. When we, my husband and I and our then three-year-old daughter were looking to move to Tasmania, one of the conditions was that we would get a dog. Okay. Um, the plan had been that the dog would just be a family pet. The only issue was we couldn't agree on a breed. <laughs> we wanted something big. I wanted something back in the Sighthound family. Mm-hmm. And as I said, there was, he wanted a Bernese mountain dog. I said there was no way I was having a Bernese mountain dog just, you know, banging through my house. (laughs) And uh, then fate actually intervened and we were driving down the streets of Erskineville only two days before we were to leave Sydney and I saw a dog being walked. And I don't know how, but I turned to my husband and I said, oh, look, there's a Finnish Lapland. You don't see one of those every day. Mm. Then I said, maybe that's the breed for us. And I actually still to this day don't know how I knew that it was a Finnish Lapland. I'd never seen one before. They weren't in the country when I'd stopped showing. Yeah, they're very rare. You definitely don't see them walking down the street that often. So I have no idea how I just blurted that out. Um, But then researching them as, you know, we would encourage any potential puppy owner to do, research the breed and decided, yes, that they were the breed for us as a family pet, nothing more. I then contacted a breeder and we uh, had a great conversation and, she said to me, would you, you know, would you be interested in something to show? And I said, 
no, no, that that's that's behind me. That's that's that was an old part of my life. I don't do that now. And she said, Oh, okay, all right. So she sent me a a puppy. <clears throat> anyway, fast forward a few more months and she put up a Facebook post of an older boy that she needed to rehome. And I said to my husband, oh, I think he should come and live with us. And he said, oh, you know, one dog, two dogs, what's the difference? <laughs> yeah, sure, whatever. So I reached out to her and she said, oh, look, I really need him to go to a show home. You know, he's too good just to be a pet. He needs to be shown as well. And I went, I'll show him. Okay. Got the better of you. <laughs> and then she also went, oh, by the way, the, uh, the puppy that I sent you, that's show quality as well because I had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and do you still keep in touch with this person? Yes, we now have a prefix in partnership together. Okay, there you go. Fantastic. So we, uh, yes, yeah, so we now breed very closely together and work in conjunction together. Nice. There you go. Well, thanks everyone. That's the end of the podcast. As Rachel, <laughs> about um, no excellent, nice little story. So just walking down the street, saw this dog. Don't know why he even knew and knew it was a finished lap, yeah. and then bang, it's all happening. You're in Tasmania, and the person's still. There you go. Wow. So it's an interesting breed, very rare. Um, tell me something about it, why it appeals to you now. Well, again, it's funny how you come around in circles. As a child, I'd always wanted a Samoyed. I used to pester my mother for oh, yes. a Samoyed. Mm -hmm. So I do have quite a love of the Spitz breed. The Spitz breed, yes. yes. Um, you know, and they're quite quirky. They're not. They're not for everybody. They, yeah. uh, you know, they don't necessarily. They're reasonably easygoing, but but not always. They bark. The barking's not for everybody. Um, it's probably not for my neighbours. Um, <laughs> but they're also incredibly affectionate and and very easy to live with in other ways. As well, so yeah, they're certainly a breed that gets under your skin. Mm. So, so if I can one eighty this to junior handlers Ooh, as a breed, what are Spitz breeds like to manage as a junior handler? They're actually a difficult breed. They yes. are a mm. difficult breed for junior handlers. Um, for one reason, you need three hands to be able to uh, make them look really good. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm yet Why is that? You need one, one, one to sort of squeak something at it or take it, one to hold the lead. What's the other? One to hold, yeah. You need one to uh, hold the lead, one to hold some food or, or something to squeak exactly, something to hold their attention, and then one to hold their tail up because the judges like to see the tail there oh. over over the oh, back. Okay. Yeah, that perfect spitz tail. Yes, exactly. And Finnish lapins, when they relax, actually drop their tail down. It doesn't mean they're unhappy. It just means they're relaxed. But, you know, if you want to get them looking ideal, then mm. the tail's over the back. Yeah. So they can be, be a tricky breed for handlers. Mm. Especially junior ones. Especially so that's junior. what I'm going to talk to you about, junior. Let's start off with... 
the million-dollar question that everyone wants us to ask here, Nathan, of course, Junior Hammer, give us the – is there – Age group? Do you define a particular age group? Is there a junior? Junior? Is there? Also, I heard I read some of there's a pee wee class. <laughs> yes, there are tiny tots. Oh my gosh! So, so tiny tots are for anyone. So the junior handler competition starts at seven years of age. Under seven years, you can compete. It will not compete. You can uh, go into what is called tiny tots, and it, it's a non-competitive um, opportunity, really, just an exposure opportunity. And in with tiny tots, the dog actually has two leads, so they go in with another. Uh, with oh, another. okay. Uh, like a super parental supervision. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And uh, so, and they can do that from any age. So, oh, what's the youngest that you've seen? Oh, it's not unusual to see babies being carried and in a pram? onto a lead. And yes, Have you, has anyone tied onto a pram? That's what I'd love to see. I've never pram. seen a pram. I've seen, oh, I've seen babies amazing. being carried, but not, okay. but not actual prams. So, wow. Mm. But Back to the other age groups. So then they go in, broken up into three age groups. So beginning at seven years of age and finishing at 18 years of age. Okay. And now what does what does the member bodies do to encourage junior handlers? That's what I, you know, what do they what does the ANK see? Because it's an important part of, you know, making sure that was you know the younger ones are coming through and are being taught the right way and enjoying showing what does what do they do as an organisation like the entry point yeah yeah so the ANKC um, sponsors and helps organise the overall competition um, which results in a national winner each year so a national junior handler each year. Okay. The it's then really falls to each of the state bodies to manage the junior handler competition on a day to day or on a week to week basis um, at each of the shows. Um, Do they have like a mentoring program? Do they also encourage them with sort of like potential? I don't know, is there a word scholarships or ways that they can reward them to help because, you know, fund them with some travel? Yes. Yeah, so that funding comes through then once we have our national, so running the national competition, uh, so the ANKC fund that national competition and also support one ultimately once we have our national winner, the, they fund the winner to travel to England to Crufts. Where wow. the oh, what a, there you go. That's a great incentive. Yeah, absolutely. So the national winner gets a trip and gets, and how do they, obviously they pay for the parents to go with them. How, how does that work? I mean, yes. Is that... So usually with a, a chaperone, a parent, uh, to travel with them. Amazing. Unfortunately, our quarantine, well, not unfortunate for our biosecurity, <laughs> Um, it means that our handlers can't take their own dog with them. So once uh, that has to be organised um, by the organising committee in Crufts, ensure that every handler has a dog, preferably of the, the breed that they have chosen. 
And is there usually a mentoring program? Because I know it was my kids. I'd hate me training them. They'd prefer to have someone other than their parents. And sometimes, you know, kids just respond better to someone who's not their parent. Mm. So oh, if I was, yeah. Is there, if I go to a show, is there someone there that will, you know, in the break of a show or after a show, take to some junior handlers together and just teach them some of the some of the some of the ways about handling dogs and different breeds. Is that something that happens, Rachel? Yeah, absolutely, it is. Um, here in Tasmania, we have our junior handler committee, and any of those people. I know I wasn't there, but on the weekend there was actually a workshop run in the lunch break for junior handlers. Uh, so a couple of people were able to mentor and give advice. But we also make sure that our handlers are aware that any of us can be approached at any time. Um, or if we see new new handlers appearing, we'll usually go and introduce ourselves and offer at any point um, to run through some of the techniques and skills. Also, if you find that a lot of people who a lot of breeders or people who show are more than happy to allow juniors to approach them and practice with their with the different mm -hmm. breeds. So there are people who are older now who rely on junior handlers to to show their dogs for them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's not easy to run around, you know, the ring and the heat or whenever it might be when you get to a certain age. It's it's tough going. Absolutely. And while some people might choose to downsize the breed they have, you know, a lot of people still very much love their breed and still want to continue breeding programs for their chosen breed. I like that, are Rachel. Physically yeah. able to do that showing themselves. Downsize the handler. <laughs> the handler. Yeah, it's, it's superb. That's the strategy. Don't yeah. downsize the dog, downsize the handler. That's right. <laughs> Peanut butter sandwiches and Vegemite, hundreds and thousands, you know, sprinkled on some bread. It's all you need, right? Uh, Nathan, this is... There we go. That's that's a new slogan. That's a new slogan for the... Maybe we could do a right poor junior handler. Maybe we'll have to look at sponsoring something. This, this, is, a, this is a program we could both get involved. Excellent. So if I'm starting as a... What, is, what, what, what do you first... Yeah. What are the skills? Yeah, what what do you what do you need to learn? So the purpose of junior handling is to first of all create that love of dog showing and building relationship and rapport with your with your dog, but also to hone and further develop those skills that you need just to show. All right. So we talk about handling, you know, when you are showing a dog you are handling a dog and there's handling of you know just being on the end of the lead of the dog and doing the things that the judge will ask you to do but ultimately there's also an art and a craft to doing it well and that's what we're trying to mentor young handlers in they're not just walking into the ring and here's my dog yeah. ensuring that your dog's presented to its yeah, grooming them. I agree. I love it when I sometimes go there and I see a, a young kid grooming and helping and combing and, you know, practising running. All that's all part of it, you know. Absolutely. Knowing which way to run, all of yeah. those things. Yeah. And, you know, taking the time to make sure they're, 
they're, they're dressed well. They love wearing their little suits. I've seen a few of them and, you know, making sure they're stopping and running properly and grooming. I think that's a, a good part, in and out of the crate. Absolutely. Helping them push the crate through the mud, getting full of oil. They've got all the, the glamour the glamour, and the, you know, getting their hands dirty as well. That's it. Absolutely. Picking up, scooping up the poop. Yes. Putting it into the poop bin, showing them that it's not all just, you know, glamorous. You don't get to go to fly to Crufts mm-hmm. just based on, you know, sitting around on the mm-hmm. seat there, Nathan. You've got to do some of the. You've got to do the hard yards. And actually, that's an interesting question I had was, you know, with junior handlers, obviously the goal is yet to introduce them to the dog world and to get them, you know, more experienced. Is it better for a junior handler to sort of form a bond with one particular dog and sort of get experience with that, you know, showing that dog at different shows? Or is it better to sort of have that experience of showing lots of different dogs and trying to obviously build, you know, be able to enter the ring and, and, you know, show and handle a variety of different dogs and breeds? In short, the answer is both. It's always both. (laughs) Always both. In the competition uh, in state finals and national finals, um, a handler shows a dog that they have chosen and then they show what is called a swap dog. So the judge will then have a list of breeds that are available Mm -hmm. and will then get that handler to... Uh, will choose a breed for each handler. And usually it's a breed that's quite different to the one that they had chosen themselves. Interesting. So it is great to build rapport with a dog and have that working relationship, you know, know each other's quirks Mm. and habits and all of those things, but you also need to be able to show that, that breadth of skill, that ability to you know, be able to go from the Newfoundland to the Chihuahua. So So that's, I guess, part of the skill of being a handler is, yeah, you you know, whatever's in front of you, you have to sort of command that respect, be able to show them around. You've got to pick up the Chihuahua poo and the Great Dane poo, Nathan. So I've got a question. Dion always asks me these. He writes down these really tough questions, Rachel, and we grill every person. So... Define for me, I'm born January the 1st, 2010, right? Yes. And another handler's born December 30th, 2010. Are we still deemed to be the same age when it comes to handling? Oh, that is a tough question. So um, where's, I'm, trying, I'm trying to say, is there a date cutoff which says I'm a 16-year-old, I'm a 14-year-old, I'm a, you know? I believe the date cutoff is actually when your state final for that year is. What? This is like we need to open up an, an inquiry into this. This is ridiculous. So that means, okay, so it's when – see, explain to me what that is. So if you're – is that the Royal Melbourne Show State? Is it the show final? So each state will hold their final at a different time, but they generally range um, from – July through to September, most states will hold their um, state final around then and then the national final is usually sort of September, October. Mm. And the national final, and the reason the date for the national final changes is because each state takes turns in hosting it and it's usually in line with a significant show that that state 
would have. Yeah. So, for example, when Tasmania hosted it three years ago, it was in October at the Royal Hobart Show. So, okay, wow, I thought getting ready for, I thought the primary school cutoff stuff was hard. This is <laughs> this is harder. This is like, you know, if it's certain, oh, God, hold them back a year, put them forward a year. I can't prep and pre kinder. This is okay. So, it's on the state. I'll have to let Dion know it's not as easy as because he, we, I, th- he thought it was based on the year. So, you know, January the 1st, December the 1st, till the same year, he considered a 12 year old Nathan, but you know, in the end. It's all about yeah. It's all about the shows and when it falls. You know, because yeah. it, it, any it, I'll tell you, Rachel, any juniors looking for any advantage here, if I can get if I can get eleven months ahead of Nathan, I'll get onto it. Don't worry. So, uh, I thought that, but I mean, that level of competition only starts when uh, I think you you're in the dog world for too long. You start thinking about those things. Yeah, well, you know, if they're trained well, that's how it is. Nathan, it's competitive out there. We no longer, yeah, you're gonna make sure. Uh, you know. Hold on, you're ready for this. It's a is it's a dog eat dog world. That's right. There we go. I'll just see myself out now. That's right. Boom boom. I would say it's a handler eat handler world. And I mean, in terms of the yeah, the handlers themselves, you know how how does it work? You know, you, you're going to a show. Um, you know, the the normal show sort of runs throughout the day. Is there a separate section for the junior handlers? Like, how do the, how do they slot into a normal show? Uh, two ways. One is just as a handler within the normal show so handling either their own dog or somebody else's dog within the show Mm -hmm. in regards to the handler competition itself Mm -hmm. um usually in the lunch break Mm -hmm. will be what we call Mm -hmm. heats so um each show will maybe have a handler have Mm -hmm. a handler competition usually in the lunch break occasionally at the start of the day um and it will just take up a small fraction of the day and winning one of those heats is what makes you eligible for that state final mm. later in the year. that makes sense but so that means i guess then a so do you see a situation where a, you know, junior handlers are competing in the main show and you know that so so they can they they're stepping up against the you know sort of the the head honchos of the dog world They'd hate that, wouldn't they? Wouldn't imagine losing to a sixteen or fourteen year old. Oh, oh, I would, I would literally hop on my car and drive home. <laughs> and that's why, and that's why you're not, you're not a breeder, George. That's. Has there ever been a professional junior handler? Right. Here in Australia, we generally don't have what we classify as professional handlers like they do in the States, but we have certainly had a number of junior handlers who have gone um, to America and trained as professional handlers or certainly honed further their handling skills um, under professional handlers and, and, and that could be part of an that could be part of an IB scheme year 12 year 11 I could just see it doing your professional hand oh god this is we could open this up Nathan this we could commercialize this there's potentially we could have paid junior handlers you know who would have th- you know let's let's think about it you know if we both put a couple of hundred dollars in it we could easily have a paid professional brat. I mean, your handler to go out there and take them all on. Yeah. Oh, but, but, you know, music as they run out there and it's just building it up. Some Taylor Swift. 
while they're out there, you know. But, God, this is I mean, but, there's a lot. I mean, there's there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot to love about it. But I mean, there's a good a good question, I guess. Then you've got so much. You know, we're talking about spending your whole day with dogs. You know, you're you're getting out there. You know, most kids that's their dream to be able to spend time around dogs. But you know, do I guess the question is, do you see a lot of young people coming through in the in the showing world? And you know, how how um yeah, how is that sort of you know being sort of I guess sort of sort of supported? Is is it something you're seeing a lot of? Uh, no. In short, um. I would love to see more junior handlers and I would love for us to be doing more to encourage to, yeah, yeah. junior handlers. Um, you know, I, I sort of spend a lot of time thinking about this yeah. and there are a number of reasons, I think, for, you know, the numbers being a bit lower than they have in the past. I mean, I, as I said, I have a 10-year-old myself who has a number of, interests outside of the dogs and you know she absolutely loves the dogs and but enjoys coming to handlers but also enjoys her other things other things that's the problem there's so many other things unfortunately you know maybe an instagram account dedicated to gems things like it's who knows you know the younger generation these days rachel or what's uber quickly whatever and it's just not you know, this is something that, oh, really? Do I have to get friends? Maybe we could make it a mm. more of a, um, you know, before you go to basketball sort of thing, you know, sport. It, there's so many other things that occupy their time. Yeah, and show it. It's a hobby, right? Like, you know, it, it's a hobby like anything else. And I guess you go back 10, 20, 30 years ago, there's, you know, probably not as many hobbies as there are now. You know, you can, you've got all the entertainment you need in the palm of your hand and it's hard to... um yeah, it's there's a lot more distractions, as you said, Rachel. More in sort of the working area where it's balls and all this, where it's a bit more fun. Absolutely. You probably see you'd probably see a lot more juniors participating in that because it's just got a, you know something else about it. It's just um, a bit more entertaining, and you know they see that as you know easier to get into than, than a show. It's probably something the whole industry struggling across is how do we get. Absolutely. And the reality is that, yes, our, the performance sports are doing better. Better. Yeah. And showing. Oh, in, yeah, interesting. In both ju- the junior sphere and just yeah, even, the day Even the dancing part, when I was in the US, all that sort of stuff had younger people, the dancing with dogs, the performance, you know, they were coming out with the theme of Top Gun and everything, the dogs are performing. The shows were just, just struggle. Exactly. And it's a whole day, you know, and which yeah, that's is, right. You know, convincing my daughter that she needs to get up at five a.m. so we can spend two hours in the car, and then spend the whole day at a show for which she only actually gets to compete for you know sort of ten fifteen minutes of, and then we get back in the car at five p.m. and get home. You know, when you've done it, suddenly it's a twelve thirteen hour day. That's right, Rachel. Well said. You know, I I used to get tired just taking them to basketball on a Saturday morning, which was an hour and a half, and you come back going, "Oh, basketball!" So it's it is. It's a lot. Yeah, you paint a very realistic picture of what's involved. Maybe there needs to be, you know, a sit down and think about how how you can encourage them. Oh, it's it's and how you get them. Maybe the days need to be shorter. The events need to be dedicated events. Oh, and perhaps yeah. I mean, again, I'm not sure if 
you know these exist as well but you know yeah maybe there are junior shows or junior dog shows specifically which you know they're a little bit shorter they're a little bit more reasonable in time and yeah and you know try and encourage it to you know be more of a hobby for, for the kids to come out to yeah like, like you're going to basketball practice maybe there's countries that just do it better because they just promote it better i don't know there's probably a lot of junior handlers in america like you know americans and they do things on a with a bit more I don't know the word professionalism, which means money. So, you know, who knows? There may be countries that just do it better and we can learn from those. Like I said, it's whenever I've gone to shows, I've always seen them as, you know, during the lunch breaks, they'll get in there and people help them. They've got mentors that help them. But it's usually, you know, within the same circle, you're not bringing – and I think they need a lot more younger people out there to see. So maybe do they do anything at the Royal shows, which is a bigger event to try and promote it? I don't know. These are sort of things that maybe the ANK needs to sit about and discuss and another podcast we could have on the whole thing. Absolutely. And it is good. I mean, there is a separate junior handler competition that runs at both Melbourne and Sydney Royals that hopefully does do some of that exposure too, you know, where you have that, that crowd watching and yeah, get to see juniors participating with their dogs. So, mm. yeah. and it, it's hard to compare to America too, in that mm. it is a profession in America. So there's always that motivator, you know, when you can literally make a career out of it versus, as you said before, Nathan, it's a yeah. hobby mm. here versus being able to be I mean, yeah. when I when I researched it on the web, Rachel, you know, the Americans called it not junior handlers, but junior showmanship, which shows you just the level they take it at. It's you know Yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure, Rachel, what, what your thoughts are on this as well, but you know, I don't know whether the show like the the junior handling and the showing is almost a a gateway into breeding ultimately as well and so i imagine you know if you know the breeding world wants to sort of yeah have a new influx of younger and you know you know like new generation almost of breeders that are breeding particular breeds as well it probably starts from showing and handling like would you say that that's right or is it like absolutely it Showing creates that passion and that relationship for your breed, mm. um, for your dogs that ultimately, as you said, you hope the next step then is is breeding. And, you know, there are breeders, breeders breed for different purposes and, and reasons. There's no doubt about that. But um, breeding for the for the show ring and for dogs that you know my passion is breeding dogs that are fit for purpose you know whilst my Finnish lappins aren't out herding reindeer in the snow I'm very passionate about breeding Finnish lappins that I know are capable of doing of doing that job so mm. um the learning about that often starts with junior handlers and, and around the show ring and the conversations with judges and, and learning that that understanding of canine anatomy mm. and, and the purposes of different breeds, what they were bred you to. Know, and, and showing your dog and running around gets you to look at things such as temperament, the phenotype, all those sort of things. You actually yeah. see it when it's running and all those. It's more than just, you know. So I think it all goes hand in hand. You'll find that most people that, have um, 
true lines and understand their lines have actually started off in the show ring and trans and you know they may not be showing as much but that's where the foundation has started from exactly. i think the problem we have with today is that unfortunately the younger generation of breeders which is outside of the ankc has associations but don't do shows they're yeah. very rare so that's where they sometimes struggle because they just simply go and don't actually see the dog with other dogs in a ring temperament. That's all you know. What they you know you know assessed as it's 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 a, it's not just one view. It's a view done throughout many judges. I think that's where they sometimes struggle. So unfortunately, the whole show area is struggling, and COVID didn't help. And no. I think it's all getting back, but now I'm hearing too that it's even harder to get accommodation and judges out because of costs. So some shows are having to struggling to get mm. not only international judges but fly into state judges. Absolutely. Which, again, is creating issues. You know, people do always want to see different judges. So it's 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 interesting. It has a – the ANKC has a huge decision to make on how to start to re-engage all that. Yeah. It's almost like, I mean – you know, to to get it's almost like a sport. You know, if you think about it like sport, you know, you're talking about how do you get your membership, your junior memberships up. You know, so you, you know, you know, it seems silly to think about, but you know, you compare it to getting TV rights for you know shows and how do you get the word out and broadcast it, and it's almost yeah, you you've got this yes to your point, George. There's so much to think about from like an organizational perspective to try and get you know those numbers up for them for the next gen. So we need more of the junior handlers coming through, going to have the new ideas and new concepts. We'll sit on these committees and change. It's, 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 mm. Things go like this, you know, yeah. unfortunately. It, um, I mean, Rachel, like if you could give a message, if you could, would, you know, give one message to the, you know, whether it's the junior handlers or the parents probably. I imagine the parents probably are the ones, you know, maybe to uh, to influence as well. But if you could put one message out there to, to them, what what would it be? It would be to love dogs. Is without that, then there's there's sort of nothing. But beyond that, junior handling is an art and a craft and something that you can continue to work and develop and perf perfect and. We all love to be able to do that. We all love to have something that we can see ourselves get better at and improve at. Um, so it's a wonderful opportunity to find, you know, if especially if you're not a sporty person or, you know, you haven't found your thing that's your niche yet, come and get involved in dogs, you know, develop a relationship with your dog, with a dog, and and learn the skill and craft of junior handling. Well said. I think it sounds like it's something which if you just try it once, you know, you just go to one show or you just, you know, get in the ring once, it's probably a bit intoxicating as well. Absolutely. Get bitten by the bug. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, you're the, I guess, you know, the the living example of, you know, starting in the in the show world. And then even though there was a little break over time, like it's, it all comes full circle and it's the, yeah, it can be the start of a breeding journey. Absolutely. Absolutely, and you think you think you might be rid of it, and then you take one little dip back in the pool and realize how much you did it. You did love it and did enjoy it. And profile some of the younger people.
put them in the magazines, talk to them, say, you know, get show, let them talk to you about what it's like rather than, you know, just simply always interviewing some of the old crusty, I mean, some of the more mature people. <laughs> get Speak some of the, get the younger ones up there, do a profile on them, ask them why they do it, you know, in some of the magazines everywhere. So anyway, yeah. get them on a microphone at a dog show, interview and talk to them. Yeah. Ask them, you know, why they did it, what they enjoy about it. They're the ones that are what they don't enjoy about it, you know, all those sort of things. That's that's what I think. That's the only way around it, just sitting there listening to us telling them with answer, you know. Anyway, yeah. oh, look, don't get me started. It's oh, it, it's it's sad, but, you know, in the end, we just need to, the own case, it probably needs to look at ways. I'm, I'm sure they've tried lots of different ways and looking at other um, um, avenues, but, like I said, when I go to shows, it's there's never anything to tell you what, what they are encouraging or talking. Get on a microphone, talk about it. Oh, is the way I would go about it. But anyway, I think it's great. It's definitely given me a new perspective on you know how to when, you know when we are at shows, you know making the effort to go up to the to the younger you know the younger handlers and, and engage them and, and get them interested. And yeah, you know it's it's they are the future of the the dog world. So it's you know it starts starts from that age. Absolutely, and they are a future of a new dog world is probably even more important than that. And, you know, we've sort of touched over the time about, you know, older breeding practices and and different things, you know, less and less are we seeing mass kennels and, and things like that. So they are the new, they're not just the new way forward for showing, they're the new way forward for breeding as well, which is really important. George, I think before we wrap up as well, we'll uh, we need to have our our you know classic right paw put what the bark competition as well. Of course, you've forgotten. Just in case you know, I'd forgotten about the competition. Nathan reminded me again. So we do what we do is um, offer a full breed profile DNA voucher during every podcast. So I usually give a question. And they must email me with the answer and let's set a date, Nathan. What is it? Let's go. Yep. I think we'll set uh, we'll set Thursday the 8th of December. Okay, Thursday the 8th of December between 3 o'clock and 3.10. So between 3 to 3.10, they must email george at orivet.com with the answer to this question. What is the junior handle program referred to in the US? Email george at orivet.com with the answer on Thursday, December the 8th. 8th. You sure you, you'll still be there, Joe? You, you won't have broken up for Christmas? Orivet office isn't closed? Actually, people get surprised, Nathan, that we close Christmas Day and Boxing Day. It's like, what? Yeah. Are you it's kidding like, me? It's like, are you joking? What? Was, it, what? You know, didn't you know you're not, allowed to, you're not allowed to break? It is insane how people go, what? You're closed? It's like... Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so the, answer me, get back with that. That's the competition. It's a full breed profile to the value of 195 But we have the other exciting part of the... We do, we do. As we wrap up every episode... Doctor, doctor, give me the news, I gotta... We're going we're to choose... We've got the Ottolenghi um, cookbook that you can choose a page from. We're still going to stick with the... Um, genetic disease book and we've got harry the dirty dog 
fun book for kids here that you can pick. The pages there only go up to about 50, but you've got either that book, you've got the Otolenghi Simple Recipe book, and I know Nathan's a favourite of Otolenghi. And then, of course, just to make sure that we keep the genetic predisposition to diseases in dogs and cats. So this is your choice. You pick a number, and if I'm feeling excited, I might go to the same page in each book, depending on how we're going with time. So, you know. I'm going to go with Otlingi, even though I I too have a particular cookbook. Um, And I'm going to go page 23. 23. This will be one of the veg recipes. That's how well I, I, I know this cookbook is I I know exactly what chapters are. Oh, gosh, I spend too much time cooking. You're lucky because if you had gone page 24, we would have been into raw veg. <laughs> uh, you're right. It's the Italian herb fritters. Perfect at a dog show. Can be eaten warm or cold and nothing tells me junior handlers more than a herb fritter. Nathan. So really for all this, it's a lot of herbs, as you can tell. We've got some dill, some basil, some coriander, some ground cumin. And then where it gets interesting with Olengi, not only does he use breadcrumbs, but the the barberries. Interesting. Yeah, very rare. We don't get those very often. Instead of currants, and then of course your walnut halves, and you bind that all together with eight eggs and some sunflower oil. So all those herbs, the barberries would be interesting. You can replace those with currants because some of the junior handlers would not. This is this is very gour- this is very gourmet for a dog show. Like I'm used to just my, my sausage sanger and you know. But maybe of, that's maybe yeah. that's the problem, Nathan. We need need to bring gourmet food trucks to the dog shows. You need to go to um, Sunbury Kennel Club on. Melbourne Cup Day. There's oh. always some fancy things. Always get a little bit fancier mm. for that dog show. So even like the way that. you describe it makes eight fritters. These can be snacked on as they are, or room temperature, as I said, or else served with some green tahini. Already, I can see Nathan's licking his lips here. Right, I do love. That. I've got two jars of tahini in my cupboard at the moment. Holding back on the water does allow for the parsley to get really broken up. These fritters are a bit of a fridge raid. Look at the way he describes it. Makes any junior handler become a showman. This is what this is. Alternatively, pile the fritters into pita bread. Oh, yeah. With condiments like yogurt, chili sauce, and if at a dog show, just some tomato sauce. Yeah. Bit of bar- or barbecue. Barbecue sauce. That's right. Usually you get one of mustard. No. Great choice. You can see why. And just so people who want to think about a disease, what page did you pick again? It was 20. 23. Right. 23. So what would you rather? <gasps> You're not going to believe this, Rachel. Page 23 is, this is spooky, is the genetic diseases with the Bernese. <laughs> I'm not, look at that. You couldn't. Es- you could never escape them. Thank God you didn't get one because I was the diseases. About to say, this will confirm why I didn't get one. But yeah, the diseases literally go for a page and a half. 
It's got to, they've got dermatological conditions, hematological, neurological conditions, musculoskeletal, hip dysplasia, oh, panosteotis, neoplastic conditions. God, thank God you didn't listen to your husband. Neurological <laughs> conditions, ocular conditions, renal and urinary, it's reproductive conditions. It says here, forget it. See, finish lapunt. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So Please luck- turn to page. 89, finish life. Page 89. So lucky. It was, it said it was meant to not be. If, you know, like this book, you went straight to the Bernese Mountain Dog. So excellent. So that's it. That's wound up another, another cast, another pod. Absolutely. And I think it's great. I think, you know, it's definitely given me a new outlook on the dog world. And I think, you know, when we're next at shows, it's that's, I'm going to be making a beeline for the, for the youngsters. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you know, every, every, you know, breeder out there who's listening to this, you know, keep yourself open, make yourself open to, to new people coming into the breed. And if you see, you know, a young person engaging with your dog, you know, take that time. I think it's great. And, you know, as Rachel said, like it's the future of the new dog world. So I think it's really important. It's good. And thanks for coming on, Rachel, and sharing your passion with us as well. Yeah. Well done, Rach. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And we'll be back again next week uh, with another episode of What the Bark. Um, and uh, we'll be coming up to Christmas very, very soon. So uh, we'll probably have to have a... Jordan, maybe we should have a Christmas-themed episode. I think I think that's on the cards. Yeah, yeah, Jingle Bell. We'll, we'll definitely, we've got to. I'll get the rights to um, Mariah Carey and then we'll, uh, you know, there we go. It'll be a, a great, great end to the year. And we'll do a reminisce of all the guests through the year and maybe get some in special guests for a five, 10 minute pod. Very nice. Brilliant. Well, to all of our listeners, uh, thanks for joining in and uh, we'll see you again very soon. Thanks everyone. Thanks, Rach.